When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Welcome to Talking Real Money, Friday edition, the question and answer edition. We take your calls. We, me, I take your calls. (laughs) I take your questions and try to answer them as best I am able during this weekly segment of Talking Real Money. Thanks for listening. Please tell friends neighbors, acquaintances about the podcast, share it on social media. And if you really like it, leave a review at Apple podcasts or rate us on Spotify. And also check out the videos at, uh, at YouTube on our YouTube channel, or you can also visit talkingrealmoney.com. You can call us with your questions 24 seven at eight, five, five, nine, three, five, talk eight, five, five, nine, three, five, eight, two, five, five. And you can also send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Let's get right to the questions. Hi, Don and Tom. This is Jim from Alabama. I've recently started listening to your show, and I'm 66 years old and considering retirement either this year or maybe next. I'm currently invested in Vanguard and Fidelity funds. I'm holding a 50-50 mix of bonds and equities. And I also hold one fund outside of that, uh, Dodge and Cox income fund. But I'm trying to figure out the correct strategy for either retiring this year or next and the correct allocation mix, uh, being in equities and bonds. The bonds portion has kind of thrown me because this is one of those unique years where both equities and bonds are down. I'd appreciate any suggestions. Thank you. Well, Jim, thanks for joining our apparent legion of Alabama listeners. We've got a lot of Alabama listeners all of a sudden, which is great. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And um, uh, retirement, you're, you're close. You're half and half. I know you're concerned about the bonds. Everybody's concerned about the bonds. Don't be. This is part of the process. And this is part of the reason why you want to own high-quality, short-to-intermediate-term bonds in a mutual fund or an ETF in your portfolio. Uh, You do have the Dodge & Cox income. I don't know which specific funds you have at Vanguard Fidelity. I would get rid of the Dodge & Cox income, but I don't know where I'd put it just yet. I get rid of it because it's five, six, seven times more expensive than a comparable income fund, bond fund at uh, Fidelity or Vanguard, an index-style fund. You should only have index-style funds. Here's the first step. Determine your tolerance for risk because there is not one portfolio that is right for everybody of a particular age. Some people who are heading into retirement 
have been investing in equities their entire life. They understand the volatility. They're comfortable with it. They don't panic in downturns. They don't freak out when things go the way they didn't expect them to go. And you have to determine what kind of person you are to know that. It's not your age. Because, as a matter of fact, if you went into retirement with a 100% high-quality, low, low, low-risk fixed income portfolio, your income in retirement from your portfolio is going to be pathetic. You need to have equities in your portfolio to add return over time. And that's the key. you got to give it the time. Sometimes the time is a few months. Sometimes the time is a year or two. A very few times the time is half a decade. But you have to give them time. You have to give the stocks time. You have to give the bonds time. And oh, as I was, as I was going to say about the bonds, the nice thing about owning them in a fund or an ETF is that the bonds that are of the shortest duration, that only have a few months left to maturity, they're going to mature out of the portfolio, paying face value. The fund will take in that money and they immediately go out and buy new, higher-yielding bonds in this environment. Increasing, while your return is declining, or your value is declining, your income will gradually start increasing, and they start to offset. The declines that can be had in a bond fund are extremely finite. In a stock fund, they're much greater. Uh, and a high quality, a government bond fund can never go to zero. I guess there's a scenario in which a stock fund possibly could, but it would require a situation so bad that maybe even government bonds would go away. So I, I wouldn't worry. I would determine what you need this money to do for you in retirement. Work backward. This is how much I need my money to make me. Then you look back at history and go, what did I need to do in the past to make that money and then knock a few percentage points off of that just for future uncertainty, then determine how much risk that requires you to take. Because you don't want to take more risk than you need anyway at all, unless you're just greedy. Don't take more risk than you need. Then the second thing you do is you determine how much risk you can stand to find out if what you need your portfolio to do is in line with your comfort level. And if the two line up really closely, that's how you invest. Half and half, 60-40, 40-60, whatever it might be. But know your needs and know yourself. Those are the keys to successful retirement investing. Our phone number is 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. We also take questions. You can speak them at TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, my name is Jeremy. I'm a union rep. About a year ago, we had negotiated a contract for a group of workers. In the contract, we agreed to $9.50 an hour into a defined contribution plan. The idea was that there would be a mutually agreed on administrator of the plan. Uh, it wasn't necessarily specific to whether it would be a, a 401k or just some type of investment account, savings account, or something along those lines. We also 
have in the collective bargaining bargaining agreement that the employers will make available a 401k plan. They are not obligated to contribute to the 401k, but the employees can if they so choose. My thought process here is that it would make sense to go with an investment firm, I don't know, something like Fidelity, I don't know if Investory that you guys run does this, but something like Fidelity, and that the uh, employer contribution can just go into the 401k plan, uh, which would be in line with the agreement. It's not, like I said, there's a, there's a separation uh, between the defined contribution and the and the 401k, but it doesn't. It's not explicit in the fact that the the defined contribution, the contribution, could go into the 401k uh, or 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 a similar plan. So, anyways, I'm looking for advice on a good plan administrator uh, that that can handle that. Uh, like I said, there's currently approximately eight employees uh, in this bargaining unit. Uh, we expect it to go up, but it probably won't ever get above, I don't know, it won't ever get above 15 employees. So any advice would be appreciated. That is going to be a very generous contribution, a company contribution to the, to the plan. Um, given the small size of the company, it, it seems to me it might be best to look at a simple 401k they're a lot less expensive to the employer um it's certainly something you should look at you you've got any number of really good choices for custodians sure you can go with with firms like like vestry by Pella, our firm uh you can go with any fiduciary firm you could also set up one of these plans i believe at schwab or fidelity should be a pretty easy process. So what you might want to do, and there's no obligation and it's not a big deal, is talk to one of our advisors at Vestry by Appella and just kind of run the particulars by them, what kind of things you're looking for, the kind of stuff we don't have time for here. And uh, they can tell you, just give you some broad advice. And then check with some of the other custodians out there too and see what what they offer. But um, I think it's going to be a simple. It's probably going to make the most sense, but it depends on some of the particulars. But I think in your case, your company's case, this this is the way to go because a traditional 401k can be more expensive. Thanks so much for the question that was sent into TalkingRealMoney.com. And uh, you can call them in or send them in, 855-935-TALK or TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, Don and Tom. I love the podcast and I never miss an episode. I chuckle at every joke Tom makes and I hope people keep making them. I'm a teacher in South Carolina and I'm not wild about my choices of 403B plans. I contribute to a 457 and a Roth IRA. We have a list of 403B vendors that are offered by our school district through a third-party administrator called NBS. They're mostly insurance companies. There's a few brokers on there that offer expensive mutual funds with front-end loads. I don't see Fidelity, Vanguard, or Schwab, so I have a couple of questions. The first one is, do Fidelity, Vanguard, and or Schwab offer 403B plans? Secondly, who do I need to speak to to try to get some better choices added, especially if one of them is Fidelity, Vanguard, or Schwab? Um, But is this a local decision? So I need to talk to maybe my payroll administrator or my school district superintendent. 
or is it a state decision where I could talk to, say, the state superintendent of education or uh, politicians like state senators or House members? I tried contacting the third-party administrator, but they, nev- they never responded to my inquiries. It's getting a little late in the game for me. I'm within a few years of retirement, but I want to advocate for the younger people to get better choices. I just don't know where to focus my energy um, as far as advocacy goes, and I'm hoping you can point me in the right direction. Thanks again for the podcast. I look forward to hearing your answer. Good for you. Good for you. Oh, my gosh. Is that a horrible, in my opinion, administrator? They don't look out. They do not look out for their clients, or the ultimate client, you, the employees. Oh, I'm sure they look out for the school districts. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure you're in one of three school districts in South Carolina. And I'm guessing it's probably Rock Hill, just knowing where Rock Hill is. But you could be in the York School District, too, uh, one of the York School Districts. <laughs> you're in one of those. I know you are because I'm looking right at it. And, oh, my gosh, are these some of the worst, worst choices I have ever seen in a 403B. I'm looking at the uh, the the Rock Hill School District. Oh my gosh, they give you Valic? Valic. Valic. Oh. Aspire, Bright House, Equitable, Great American Life, Horace Mann, Invesco. Invesco's the best. And they're not that great cuz they're expensive. Voya. Ooh, Waddell. No. No, you have no no-load companies in there. They are, they're not looking out for you. They do not care. But this tells me a lot because I don't know what South Carolina's laws are about 403Bs and all that, but I figured they were like everywhere else. It's your school district, sir. It is your school district. And they can go with anybody they want. The problem is they may have to go with someone other than NBS because NBS seems like they might possibly be in bed with some of these companies, either that or they just don't know any better. And if they don't know any better, well, then shame on them. Shame on them. How dare they offer teachers such horrible overpriced investment options. No 403B should ever have an insurance product in it. I know that's how they started, but I don't care. Am I upset? Heck yes, I am. Here's what you need to do. You and as many of your fellow employees as you can get need to go to your school board. And you need to let them know that this is appalling and that the school board, the school board is not living up to their fiduciary duty to you, its employees, by providing you with overpriced insurance products. If they want to at least begin to act in the fiduciary capacity to which they are required to act, then you need to ask them, Get a petition. Ask them to find a new benefit company or force NBS to allow you to use Vanguard, Fidelity, uh, Schwab, whomever it might be, all of whom, all of whom can, uh, can have products in your 403B. They may not want to work with them because they probably don't get anything in return. But these choices 
NBS, you should be ashamed of yourself. Absolutely ashamed. And Rock Hill and York School District in South Carolina? Do you people realize, do you realize what a bad job you are doing for your employees? Do you realize? In fact, it shouldn't just be teachers. It should be administrators. Everybody should be up in arms over these horrible choices. Valak should never be in a 403B. An annuity never should be in a 403B. These are horrible, 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 horrible choices. Do you think I'm angry? Darn right I am, which is why I'm going to go to another question. Thank you for yours. Good luck. Let me know how it goes. Uh, remember the number, 855-935-TALK, or uh, send your questions in. Speak them at TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, I had a question about large checks. If you receive an inheritance check or a payment for selling your house or just some other very large check, it's quite possible that the check would be in excess of the FDIC uh, insurance limit. Now, how can you handle that check in a way that protects you against being the unlucky person who deposits the check in their bank and comes back the next day to see the FDIC insurance notice on the door that they've taken over your bank. And then you would lose at least a portion of the check that is above the FDIC limit. Um, how can you handle your um, yourself in a way that protects against that? Um, you can obviously put the check in the bank and then as soon as it's cleared, you know, split it out to multiple accounts at other banks but for that interval that it's all in one bank, you're exposed, I believe. I think particularly of real estate closing people who handle these kinds of checks on a regular basis. Is there a methodology that would, prohibit, would pr protect against losing funds this way? Um, thanks for your answer. Appreciate you. Take care. Thank you for the call and the question, and uh, and say hi to your dogs for me. Um, I think you're overthinking. I really do. We have not, not once since the FDIC was established, we have not once had any depositor lose any money at any amount typically the reason being typically another bank is going to take them over if the bank gets in trouble so i think boy this the timing would have to be just extraordinary i mean just extraordinary you, you would probably be one of like 10 people in the country to have a bank to have so many banks go under that the fdic's run out of money and they can't find another bank to take it over, and therefore they don't honor any deposits above the quarter of a million dollars. I mean, for that to happen at the exact moment your check happened to hit the bank, wow, the odds, are, I can't, I don't think those odds are calculable. They're just huge. So I wouldn't even think about this because how often do you get a check for more than a quarter of a million dollars? I bet that's only once or twice a lifetime at best. 
So I wouldn't worry about it. But if you do worry about it, you really are worried about it, you can often ask that multiple checks be cut. You can also ask for a wire transfer so that the second they hit the account, they you, you know and can send them off to other accounts. Or remember, if there are two people on the account, it's a quarter of a million apiece. So half a million comes in, you're still covered. But I just this this is a great example of overthinking. I, I think you're worrying too much. But thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. 855-935-TALK. Send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. I'm Don McDonald. And, oh, golly. Let's see. What time is it? I think I can get two more in. I'm going to get two more questions in. Here's the next one. Hey, Tom and Don. My name is James. I'm within a year of retirement, and I'm in a combination of Vanguard and Fidelity funds. I'll give you an idea. BND, I've got about 45K, BNDX, about 19K, VTI, about 41K, VXUS, about 24K. And from a former retirement plan, I have about 8,500 in BIICX, about the same amount, 8,500 in a diversified bond portfolio, about 1,700 in VPMAX. I have about 41K in the Vanguard Retirement Savings Trust 2, about 34K in the Vanguard Inflation, uh, Inflation Protection Security, about 24K in the Vanguard U.S. Bond Fund, about 17K in the Vanguard Equity Index Fund, about 8,400 in the Small and Mid-Cap Equity Index Fund, about 26,000 in the Windsor Fund. And I also have available to me the Vanguard Target Retirement Fund starting at 2020, uh, the Vanguard International Large Equity Index Fund, Vanguard Wellington, the Active International Equity Fund, a foreign large value fund, and I also hold about $20,000 in Dodge and Cox, D-O-D-I-X. I'm wondering, I'm about a... 50-50 to 60-40 type of investor, uh, being that I am within a year of retirement at age 66. So I'd like your suggestions. I also hold funds into Fidelity. Um, with with I won't go into that at length, but I've got a, a wide diversification in, um, in Fidelity. Um, these are from the current and former employer. Uh, so if you would give me some ideas on some funds that I could pick within Fidelity and then the ones I just left you on Vanguard. Great, greatly appreciate the work you guys do, and thank you for your help. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, now, now here's the bad news. Here's my diagnosis. You, sir, you, sir, have a bad case of hodgepodgeitis. Yes. You're a hodgepodgeist. You have hodgepodged yourself into a uh, rambling mass of confusion. Too many things, sir. Too many things that don't even go together. They're just, they're just haphazard. It's really a haphazard. It's not a portfolio. It's it's an accidental portfolio, but it's uh, it's not really a portfolio. And 
there's this is I know it's to you it's a lot of money, but there's really with you going into retirement, there is no reason in the world, no reason in the world to have ninety percent of that stuff. Um, here's what I would do. I would simplify this. You don't want to go into retirement with a convoluted, complicated portfolio. No, simplify it. As you said, you're you're like a 50-50 kind of guy. Well, go take the risk quiz at Talking Real Money and, and find out what you are. But uh, if you're a 50-50 person or a 60-40, then keep it simple. Get yourself that target date fund. And... Uh, uh, and you can, you know, you could consolidate everything at Vanguard if you wanted to, or you could get a target date fund at Fidelity, and you could get a target date fund at Vanguard. I just don't see all those other funds. Just don't think they're, it's, it's a hodgepodge. You'll get, well, what is the, what is the, uh, hold on, let me look up that morning. I haven't looked up that Morningstar target date fund in a while. Not Morningstar. <laughs> I look it up on Morningstar. The Vanguard Target Retirement 2020 is currently, given that this is 2022, let's see what that portfolio mix is. That is, uh, it's about a, boy, that's about a 50-50. It's really, really close to a 50-50. So maybe you want to have a little bit of a 2020 and maybe a little in a 2025 to sort of split the difference. And if you want to play with a little bit, and I don't mean play, play, crazy play, but you could take you know 5% of the total amount of all your funds and get a small cap value fund just to give yourself a little, if you, if you have the stomach for that. But I don't think I'd be any more complicated than just the vanguard target 20 or a target 2025 and i personally if it was me i would consolidate them all probably at vanguard because of the cost of that fund and the wonderful diversification i mean it's eight basis points i believe in i really do it, it, it simple is better simple is more sane unless you're planning to hire an investment advisor to manage your money you want to just keep it simple because otherwise it gets too out there and it's hard to rebalance and it's hard to know where to put what and how to keep them in order year after year after year and to keep the balance correct. Just get a target date fund. They do it all for you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's do one more, shall we? Hi, Tom and Don. Thanks so much for the podcast. I've learned so much. Um, but I was a little confused by your answer to the person who asked about I-bonds. You advised her to wait until May to buy because it'll be at like a 9.6% um, interest rate. But the advice that I've seen elsewhere is to buy now, which is the end of April when I'm leaving this message, um, because then you lock in the 7 point whatever percentage it is now for the first six months. And then your next six months will be the 9.6, even though you know, a few days into that next six months, they'll be changing the rate again. By doing it that way, you would lock in eight point something percent for your first year of your I-bond um, rather than it resetting 
to, you know, potentially like, let's say I waited until May 1st and it was 9.6. And then after six months, it went down to zero. Well, then my, my yield for, for the interest would be, uh, you know, the high 4% rather than being the 8% that it would be if I bought it now. Um, do you disagree with this? Cause this is the advice that I'm seeing elsewhere. And now I'm second guess, second guessing whether I should be buying it now. Thanks. I put this question in, even though it's past April when you could have bought the 7% uh, I-bonds, the inflation bonds from the U.S. Treasury through Treasury Direct. The reason I put this in is because there is some confusion about this. And, and I'm going to tell you what the Treasury Department itself says. If you would have purchased that 7% I-bond in April, you purchased it on April 28th, you would have locked in that 7% rate now until next October. You would not kick up to the 9.6. I bought a 7% uh, I-bond in January. I don't get a kick up from my 7% rate in January until July. Then I'll get kicked up to the new higher rate. So, no, that whoever told you that I think is wrong because I am reading this directly from the uh, Treasury Direct website. And again, the reason the reason it's nine point six is because that's double the uh, inflation rate for 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 the six months. So, um, and and I, this is directly from Treasury Direct. If you buy a bond in May. It, the rate will adjust on November 1. If you buy a bond in April, or if you bought one in April, it adjusts on October 1, and then again on April 1. That's the correct information, unless Treasury Direct is lying. So um, just go ahead and buy them when they're available. Again, we're trying to overthink this stuff, um, and usually it's a lot simpler than it appears peers and this is from the horse's mouth so to speak all right we're wow this is going to be a long one thanks so much for being a part of this episode i hope you got something out of it if you have questions please send them in speak them in at talkingrealmoney.com or call them in at 855-935-TALK and if you're listening to this show during the week on a friday for example like when i'm putting it up later on a friday do a live show every saturday from three to five eastern noon to two pacific on northwest news radio in seattle and anyone in the country anyone in the world can call us at that same number we use for you to leave your questions for the uh, the podcast that's 855-935-TALK what happens is at three eastern that number automatically forwards to the radio station so that we can speak with you live during those two hours so if you want conversation as opposed to just asking a question and listening for the answer later. That's the way to do it. Just call us on Saturdays, 855-935-TALK, between 3 and 5 or noon to 2 Pacific. 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, Retire Meet is coming up in a week. <laughs> I'm, I'm flying out to, to Seattle to do Retire Meet on the 14th. So if you're listening to this before the 14th of April, um, you can sign up for it in person if you're in the uh, in the Puget Sound re- region, or you can attend virtually anywhere in the country, and virtual attendance is free. So just go sign up 
It's so easy. Just go to retiremeat.com and spell it any way you want. Retire M-E-A-T, M-E-E-T, doesn't matter. It works both ways. And sign up for this great, great all-day event that will feature some incredible speakers, some great information. Tom and I will be there. Uh, Paul Merriman will be there. Uh, Paulo Lupescu from Dimensional Funds, who is terrific. He's going to talk about the current market conditions, war, inflation, all those things we worry about. So go to RetireMeet. Meet us there at retiremeet.com. And uh, keep telling your friends, and please share us on your social media. And thanks for listening. I'm Don McDonald, talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. As you keep the lawyers happy.